This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good evening, everyone. My name is Shelley Adler. I'm the interim director of the UCSF Osher Center for Integrative Medicine. And I would like to welcome you to the UCSF Osher Mini Medical School for the Public. This is our fourth session in the series on integrative medicine and mindfulness. And it is my great pleasure to give a few introductory comments related to our speaker tonight, Nancy Bardicke. Nancy is a nurse midwife and a mindfulness teacher, and she is the founder of the mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting program. And she's been assisting birthing families for more than four decades. She's currently the director of the Mindfulness-Based Childbirth and Parenting, or MBCP, program at the Osher Center, and she's an assistant clinical professor in the UCSF School of Nursing. Nancy has been a meditation practitioner for 35 years, and she started the MBCP uh, program to meet the needs of expectant women and their partners, uh, and she started that in 1998. She has an absolutely terrific book by the title of Mindful Birthing, Training the Mind, Body, and Heart for Childbirth and Beyond. And I'm not the only one that thinks this is a terrific book. It received the 2014 Book of the Year Award from the American College of Nurse Midwives. And the impact of this book is not only uh, very widespread across the United States, but because of the fact that it's been translated into different languages, it's really having an international impact. It's available now for those who are interested in Dutch, German, and French. uh, And there are editions in both Turkish and Chinese that are forthcoming. So in addition to Nancy's work at the Osher Center, she trains MBCP instructors around the world, and she collaborates on research with people in the United States and internationally who are investigating both the short and long-term impact of the MBCP program on expectant parents and their uh, uh, families, the babies. So uh, the title of today's talk, as you can see, is The Contractions of Labor and the Contractions of Life, Mindfulness Skills for Childbirth and Parenting. Please join me in welcoming Nancy Bardicke. Thank you, Shelley. I appreciate that kind introduction. Can you hear me okay? It's all right? Okay. So I got a quick lesson here in technology. Um, I'm of the generation that was uh, not doing it from the get-go, so uh, we'll see how it goes here. So my intention tonight is to share with you a bit of the history of uh, the MBCP program to talk about uh, stress in the perinatal period and the uh, impact or the potential for the bringing mindfulness skills into uh, the lives of expectant families um, well before they have their babies so that uh, they are perhaps better prepared um, so what 
I think is a helpful place to start is what is mindfulness? And maybe if I could um, just ask you all, how many of you have a mindfulness practice or intend to every day that you're going to have a... <laughs> okay. How many of you have uh, taken a mindfulness-based stress reduction course? A few? Okay, thank you. How many of you are parents? Okay, a lot of hands. How many of you are grandparents? Okay, all right. So um, how many of you find that parenting sometimes is a little bit, or grandparenting, uh, is a little bit stressful? (laughs) Okay, so I see we're all starting in a good place here. So uh, what is mindfulness? Um, I put up this definition by John Kabat-Zinn. Maybe another question is how many of you have heard of John and his... Okay, quite a few people. Um, So John... uh, This is the definition that John uses and has been used quite a bit in the scientific papers. The awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Now, when I read that, I go, well, that's a mouthful. Well, okay, thank you. Uh, But to sort of uh, deconstruct it is... um, Not so easy. And so what I'd like to do for tonight is to actually begin with some mindfulness practice. It's so experiential that I'd like us all to have that experience, and then we have a, a, a place to begin our conversation. So now... So I'm wanting to sit down and join you. Um, And uh, let's do some basic meditation practice, if you will. Uh, Or you can just sit. It's just fine. Um, But for those who care to, um, I would like to invite you to bring your feet flat on the floor. And... Uh, You can practice uh, formal meditation with your eyes open or your eyes closed. It's uh, up to you. If you do, keep your eyes open. Let your eyes just fall in a, a soft gaze a few feet in front of you on the floor. So eyes open or closed, and the feet are flat on the floor. And now bringing your uh, attention to the soles of the feet and feeling the shoes and perhaps the pressure of the feet against the floor and the shoes between the floor and your feet. And now moving attention upwards through the legs, the lower legs and the knees, feeling the bend of the knees and the pressure of the backs of the legs against the chair, the seat of the chair, and the buttocks, maybe even feeling the sit bones 
the pelvis, noticing the low back, how the spine rises up out of the low back, the normal curves of the back, and the gentle rising, the spine all the way up through the neck, and the head balanced on the neck. It can sometimes be helpful to just tilt the chin downwards towards the chest ever so slightly. And you might feel an opening in the back of the neck when you do that. That's a balanced position for the head. Letting the shoulders drop away from the ears. The arms hanging gently from the shoulder joints, the bend at the elbows, and the hands resting on the thighs, against each other in the lap, whatever's comfortable for you. And now, once settled in this posture of stability and balance, posture of dignity, of taking our seat to set an intention to practice being in the present moment, training the mind to be here and now, allowing the attention to come to the breath at the belly. Aware of the abdomen rising on the in-breath, releasing on the out-breath. Now for some, the breath may be more vivid for you at the nostrils. It's fine, just noticing if that's true. And let the attention rest instead of on the belly, at the nostrils. Or even for some, the breath may be more vivid in the chest. So noticing now where it is that you feel the breath most vivid as a physical sensation in the body. The belly, the breath, the the nostrils, the chest. And wherever the breath is most vivid for you, allow your attention to just rest there. Noticing this Movement of the body we call breathing that is changing moment by moment. This breath that began within the moments of your own birth and has been keeping you alive ever since.
No need to change the breath in any way. However you're breathing is just how you're breathing right now. Perhaps fast or slow. Deep or shallow. Choppy barely perceptible. Now you may notice that the mind has a tendency to wander, wandering off into the future, planning, projecting or thinking, analyzing, judging, comparing or the mind may go into the past remembering, reminiscing Whenever you notice that the mind has wandered off of the breath, just notice what is on the mind and then make the choice, the choice to let go and gently and kindly return the attention to the breath, to this breath, letting this body sensation, this breath, be the anchor to the present moment, right here and right now. Where is the attention now? Is it on the breath? If not, no need to give yourself a hard time. Just noticing where the attention has gone. And then once again, with kindness, gentleness, escort the attention back to the sensations of breathing. this brief meditation practice, inviting you to move your fingers and your toes, perhaps stretching a little bit, 
And when you're ready, opening the eyes, noticing what it's like to bring light in, to allow light into the, to the eyes. <coughs> Maybe some reluctance to open the eyes. <laughs> okay. <coughs> so, that was a brief... Thanks. So, um, so that was just a simple, basic mindfulness practice, awareness of breathing, nothing fancy. That's actually what John meant in that, all those words that he said, trying to describe something that's so simple, but not so easy. How many people noticed that their mind wandered? Yeah, uh-huh. Welcome to the human mind. That's what our minds do. They, they secrete thoughts. That's their job, uh, is to think. And uh, however, we, ha- and when they're thinking, they're often making thoughts about the future, uh, which is just a fantasy or a projection of what might happen, um, often worrying about the future, or going into the past, remembering what happened today at work, what happened last week, what happened when you were five years old, uh, whatever, what somebody said to you when you were ten. So... When the mind is in the future, it's in projection and fantasy. When it's in the past, it's in memory. And we can spend our whole lives projecting into the future or going and reliving the past. But guess what? Life happens now. Right in this moment. This is it, folks. And we all ought to know that. We live in earthquake country. I mean, maybe in the next five minutes, we'll all have a different experience together than sitting right here listening to a talk. We don't know, okay? I mean, that's a dramatic example. But it's true. I don't know what I'm going to say in the next sentence. I didn't memorize this, and you don't know either. So we're all on this journey of moment-to-moment living every moment, but we forget. And so we can spend our whole lives either in the future, in the past, and not be here for this life as we know it. So this... um, is a skill uh, that can be taught um, and be practiced because it's, it's as is often said, it, it's simple, but it's not easy. So what has happened in the last, oh, 35 years or so, um, a lot of it having to do with John, certainly he's not the only one, but John started the mindfulness-based stress reduction program in 1979. He started out in the basement of UMass Medical Center tacking up 
flyers to try and get people in the room to practice meditation, and he called it the Stress Reduction Program. And lo and behold, uh, people showed up for systematic training in mindfulness meditation, and we have uh, wonderful courses over at the Osher Center. And the um, program, the MBSR program, has kind of become like a stem cell that uh, many programs have uh, sort of spun off from them. And uh, when John started, he originally he started it for people with chronic pain, and then uh, following shortly thereafter did a study on it, and then uh, people with anxiety. So these are some of the earliest studies of mindfulness meditation. And now at UMass Medical Center, over 20,000 patients. That's a lot of people that have been through this program. And it has spread all over the world. He's written lots of books. Some of you probably have read them. And what's really interesting is it's been the subject of many, many studies. And the research on mindfulness has just, you can see by this graph, exponentially just grown, and it's not stopping. It's getting more and more and more. And now it's sort of infused itself into the general population, the general conversation. You can read it every week at least in some place. There's some article on how it's good for you and it helps. And and uh, there in the corner is um, Anderson Cooper. Thank you. I'm 73. I got, that's what happens. Um, you know, did a one-hour special on all these various programs. That was in November 2014. I remember that. Um, and so we now can pretty much say that there is some pretty good evidence uh, on what are the benefits of regular meditation practice, which is reduction of stress, uh, decreased anxiety, depression. Uh, it's very helpful for chronic pain and acute pain, actually. Um, post-surgery recovery, bolstering the immune system, uh, greater social and emotional intelligence. Now, can you start to see how that might be helpful as a parent? Um, and increased empathy. So the proliferation of mindfulness programs is quite profound, and people have developed various programs uh, that are targeting specific populations. One of the most well-known is mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for prevention of depression relapse. So John's program was in a medical setting, setting MBC has been one of the programs that's really moved through the field of psychology. And then there's many others, mindfulness around eating for people with ADHD. And now there's a new wave, and I put the mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting 
program in the next wave, which is focusing on parenting and schools and teens and families um, and bringing these skills uh, to, to another, um, another whole population. Uh, a friend of mine says, you know, at the low-lying low fruit has been taken. And now we're at the hard stuff, the really hard stuff, the parenting. So uh, when um, I encountered John, it was in 1994, so that's 22 years ago, he had, uh, there was, um, the Bill Moyers had just done the Healing in the Mind program, and uh, uh, John and his partner Saki Santarelli started training health professionals, and I was in one of the very first trainings in 1994. And at that retreat, uh, it just like went like that. It was like, oh my goodness, here was a form that would make it possible to bring these skills to the people that, the families that I was caring for and that I knew so well the kind of stress and that went with this tremendous life change of becoming a parent. It is a really big deal. And life as it was known before is gone, finished, and never to return again. You're a parent for the rest of your life. Have you noticed... <laughs> I mean, it's an illusion that it's only 18 years. I mean, I don't stop worrying about my kids. I don't stop. Um, now I got grandkids to worry about on top of the kids. I mean, you know, that. but nobody told me. Uh, my oldest is 48, by the way. So, um, uh, so that's like a big change in everything. And then the birth itself... Uh, that's got a little bit of stress uh, and pain and things around that, if anybody remembers. Uh, I do. And, uh, and then there's all the things that come right afterwards, particularly in that early period of like, yeah, they do send you home with this Baby, expecting you to know how to take care of it, and no, it doesn't come with an instruction manual. And there you are in your house and trying to figure it out moment by moment. So it made a lot of sense to me that maybe these skills could be helpful. So um, I started first, I taught the MBSR course, and then uh, I started adapting it for expectant families. And I have to tell you, in 1998, childbirth education was like, I want to do it as fast as possible, maybe a day, an afternoon, four weeks maybe. And here I was asking people to sign up for a nine-week class uh, three hours a, a, a class um, and making a commitment to 30 minutes a day, six days a week to meditation practice. Now that's a little bit out of the box, but we're in the Bay Area and I was lucky um, that 
somehow people showed up and did it. And uh, with enormous gratitude to my husband, I tried to do it in the institution, but nobody would show up. So uh, we did it. (laughs) Uh, He said, come home, and I did. So I taught it in the living room of my home till 2007. So I really um, developed it in the living room of my home, but John developed it in the basement, so fine. And I took my own uh, childbirth education class, uh, was Lamaze in 1967. I mean, there weren't any childbirth education classes. There weren't hardly any books to read, and that was in somebody's home in the Berkeley Hills. So there you go. Um, And I kept seeing these things that went well beyond anything I could have imagined. And then in 2007, Susan Folkman, who was the uh, uh, head of the Osher Center at that time, invited me to bring the program over to the Osher Center. And what was so fabulous about that, not only to be able to... I went to school here, so it was wonderful to come come back, um, but also uh, Susan also um, recruited my dear, dear friend and colleague, Larissa Duncan, so that we formed a clinical research partnership so we could really take a look at some of these things that I was observing in these families. So uh, looking at um, perinatal stress, um, is really, really interesting and is growing in terms of how important it is to pay attention to this territory, this early, early time. Um, We know now that stress is a contributing factor to many adverse outcomes, things that we really wish weren't happening, like low birth weight, preterm birth, Stress, uh, not having such a great childbirth experience. It's a factor in postpartum depression. You can read the slide. Uh, So people have begun to look upstream, okay, Um, and to really start to question what is going on in this early time. Here's... uh, recent book, uh, How the First Nine Months Shaped the Rest of Your Life. So the relationship between the mother's body and how it's actually affecting the infant is now something that more and more we're beginning to look at. And that stress during pregnancy does impact uh, the the baby's growth. You know, we used to think that you were born with your genes and that was it, but it's not true. There's the neuroplasticity, and the baby is getting the message from the mother's body in terms of what kind of world it's going to be born into, and uh, how this is impacting the baby's uh, stress reaction and and uh, so this is a whole new territory that many of us are looking at because we know that this is passed on through generations of um, mother to baby there's also 
more evidence, and it's fairly conclusive now, uh, that stress in pregnancy has a long-term impact on adult health. Uh, this was the Barker hypothesis that uh, a British epidemiologist in, the ni- in 1990 said this, and everybody thought he was off his rocker. Guess what? Turns out to be true, that we now know that the uh, infants that are, were born under acute stress, that experienced stress, um, the mothers experienced the stress, the higher cardiovascular disease, obesity, and uh, more um, reactive um, babies. So this, uh, that there's, that's 14 independent studies, okay? And that was in 2005. Uh, programs to reduce maternal stress in pregnancy are therefore warranted. So this is a kind of connecting the dots, if you will, MBCP. Um, and, you know, what we have thought about in terms of childbirth education Uh, has been quite information-based rather than skills-based. And um, uh, I think we're missing an enormous opportunity. Nowhere else in the adult life cycle are people open to and looking for education. So from my perspective, it's like, why don't we really teach them something? Uh, really something, this is William James, the father of modern psychology, uh, an education which should improve the faculty of bringing the attention back to the present moment would be the education par excellence. So it's like, okay, let's go for it. Um, And maybe we're even, through the skills of mindfulness, Uh, doing something that could be potentially uh, primary prevention and uh, of these downstream effects. Um, So these are the intentions of the mindfulness program um, to teach these skills to the the young families um, for stress reduction and the health mental and physical health benefits uh, during pregnancy, and to offer skills for uh, learning to deal with or work with the uh, unpleasant sensations that are called pain in childbirth, and also the unknowns of what might happen, and to sow seeds of parenting. So the... um, all the way through the course, there is a thread of talking about how this might be applicable once the baby is born, and also potentially, uh, on an epigenetic level, um, interrupting these intergenerational patterns of suffering. So the course, as I said, it's nine weeks, three hours, and the daily home practice of 30 minutes a day, six days a week. The MBSR course is 45 minutes, so I thought that was pretty radical, decreasing it to 30. Um, There's a, a day of silence. 
uh, between class six and class seven and a reunion class after the birth. The mindfulness practices are the evidence-based practices that are in the uh, MBSR course and many of the uh, mindfulness-based courses. Um, and some of you may know them. I, I want to draw particular attention to loving-kindness practice. Uh, as a parent, the, the, the expectant parents come back afterwards, um, and the loving-kindness practice often is one of the practices that is mentioned over and over that they use not only for their baby but for themselves when things get really rough. Um, and mindfulness in daily life. So this is not about becoming good meditators sitting on a cushion. This is about mindful chopping the vegetables, mindful showering, mindful teeth brushing, uh, mindful breastfeeding, um, being present with your baby, uh, mindful diaper changing. It's about being in the moment in your life. Um, now, I developed a lot of additional practices uh, that I thought from my midwifery experience were needed um, for uh, the particular uh, condition of pregnancy. So th that's these. Um, and we spent three weeks on pain practice. Uh, and it gets pretty intense in my classroom or the MBCP classroom because uh, birth is pretty intense. And so uh, these are life skills. Not many of us uh, live a full life without some pain. And so partners learn the pain practices as well. Uh, and they also develop um, empathy for their partners when they see how intense this thing can be. And uh, so um, this is a full childbirth preparation class and more. Um, it's not uh, that people come and take this and then have to go and take an another childbirth preparation class. I want to draw your attention to um, the last item on that list there, which is the creation of community. You know, one of the problems, I think, is how um, fractured the families have become and the lack of social support for new families. And isolation is a very big factor in postpartum depression. And so to cultivate the community um, of parents who share this relatively intimate experience of nine weeks. They bond with each other. They fall in love with each other. I have some MBCP groups who've been together for nine, ten years. They've gone through miscarriages and second babies and even some deaths. And I mean, they're, they're really together, and they often stay together forming lifelong friendships. Uh, and they're in a community that is supporting another way of being with their children. And um, so I kind of think of these as a healthy um, 
pod, if you will. One of the critical things that happens in the uh, class is the... Um, happens in class uh, is when we look at the birth process moment by moment and breath by breath. And um, we look at this as now if this is, this is a contraction and then these little wiggly lines are breaths. And if we look at that, what is happening here is a wave. It's a wave of sensation that comes and goes. And right here is the most intense, which is three to five seconds. And guess what? How long is a breath? Three to five seconds. So the most intense part of the contraction is just one breath, if they're there paying attention to it. If this is a pattern of labor, that's uh, every five minutes, which is active labor, the pain right here is a minute. So that means in one hour of active labor, there's actually only 12 minutes of pain. And when people start to understand this, uh, that childbirth is a moment-to-moment process, and really all that's needed is to be in the present moment, pay attention to the breath, that it's, oh, maybe I can do this. And it's really profound to see the confidence go up and the fear go down. Now, what's real interesting is what happens here. Because between contractions, there's ease and calm. However, what happens often in the untrained mind the mind is going, worrying about the future. Oh, my God, how am I going to handle the next contraction? Oh, my God, the last one was so bad. How long is this going to go on? Uh, I'm never going to have sex again, which is a thought about the future. Uh, he, he, he can have the next baby, or sometimes she can have the next baby. And what is happening is that there's the reactivity to the process The mind is in the future, or it's in the past, and they are unaware of this potential of ease and calm. They miss it. And it's all because they don't know, those who haven't done the training, don't know that this is even possible. What happens in the untrained mind is that this kind of reactive thoughts and emotions, which we all, you know, well, I don't know if they were reactive, but you saw in your own mind, if you're doing that and they're really stressful thoughts and fear about the future, what happens physiologically is it starts the stress reaction and the uterine arteries get narrower and the blood gets shunted to the large muscles so to get ready to fight or flee, which is nature's way of protecting us. That's fine. That's appropriate. But what happens is if they're frightened, uh, it's not a good time to have a baby. Um, and so the physiology 
uh, is not not harmonious. So the mind is working against the body in that sense. And the labors are longer, more painful. They need more medication, potentially more interventions. So this is a pretty critical shift. And, of course, this is a metaphor, really, because how many of us have a few contractions in, in, in life? Uh, we can have them daily, or, <laughs> or we can get some real doozies. And so it's really... Uh, not that different. It's know that things will change, nothing is permanent, and we ride the waves as best we can, responding rather than reacting to either the pain and contractions of labor or the contractions of life. So in this way, it becomes a life skill. I do want to mention about the health disparities because sometimes we think about integrative medicine and that there's not enough opportunity for uh, more diverse populations, uh, lower socioeconomic uh, uh, populations to have access to this. And this is uh, heartbreaking what's happening in terms of the health disparities. Um, This is the CDC's uh, definition of um, health disparities. And there are pretty serious uh, racial disparities in perinatal outcomes in the U.S. in terms of uh, greater preterm births and low birth weight, increased infant mortality, and increased maternal mortality in populations that are uh, don't have the advantages of... Um, regular health care, nutrition, all of those kinds of things. So we are, in fact, working uh, not only um, broad scale about how we can also bring these skills into other populations. So uh, I mentioned Larissa Duncan and the evidence base uh, uh, for uh, MBCP. If you look at the, at the picture MBSR is on the left. (laughs) That's Big Brother over there. And the newborn (laughs) on the right, that's MBCP. Um, So Larissa is now uh, transitioned from the Osher Center to the University of Wisconsin. She's got a lot of titles, bless her heart, and um, is doing tremendous work there, and we've continued to collaborate. Um, And uh, so I just want to give you a taste of some of the studies that are in process. We did a a, a pilot observational study, you start where you are, and um, that was back in... Uh, 2010, and we did get um, increased positive emotions and decreased negative emotions and uh, increased mindfulness and decreased depressive mood during pregnancy and decreased pregnancy anxiety. So this was a small study. Uh, It wasn't controlled, um, but... We, like I said, we start where we are. And they continued to use the um, meditation as a form of coping. You 
can see this. So I'm going to let you just read these. Uh, this is some qualitative data that we got. We had to make a, a category of absolutely when you code <laughs> um, qualitative data. <laughs> you have to make these categories. So this is the impact on parenting. So we were curious because it looked like potentially it was impacting uh, known risk factors uh, for um, postpartum depression. We wanted to know if that might be true. So. Uh, I have also developed a shorter course, an 18-hour weekend course, uh, called The Mind in Labor. And uh, we know that fear of childbirth um, is a phenomena, and there's lower pain for those who have uh, fear of childbirth, lower pain tolerance, greater use of medication, things that you would totally expect. Longer labors, more difficult postpartum adjustment. And we also know that um, mindfulness is effective, um, mindfulness training effective for acute pain. Now, I always have a little trouble because childbirth pain I think of as transformational pain. It's normal pain, but that's a little tricky because it's intensely acute chronically until it's over. I mean, it's, it, it's in some other category. Um, but we do know that it is helpful for acute pain. And um, so we did do a study, um, a, a community sample, and this one was uh, a randomized control trial, um, asking, uh, are you afraid of child, a fear of pain of childbirth. And this one was a much more diverse sample in terms of socioeconomics, uh, uh, levels, and um, uh, racial mix and things like that. And we, in fact, um, got decreased fear of childbirth, uh, a trend towards less use of medication during labor, but everyone had an intention to use epidurals. We'd like to know, in fact, if this might impact uh, the use of epidurals. We know it impacted the use of opioids before they got the epidurals. Um, And uh, what was really surprising is that um, the Depression symptoms decreased post-weekend. This is 18 hours of training in mindfulness, and it stayed low post-birth and continued to be lower one to two years after um, uh, than the controls. Now, for this to be statistically significant, it was a very small sample. It was like 28 or 27. Something's going on here. We're also, we've also um, 
uh, done a study. There's a very wonderful program uh, called Centering Pregnancy, which is a, a form developed actually by a friend of mine, um, Sharon uh, Rising, uh, where pre- uh, prenatal care is given in a group format. And uh, so there's a wonderful very well-established program of centering pregnancy over at San Francisco General. And so uh, I took the curriculum of the centering pregnancy, uh, centering pregnancy model and infused it with mindfulness skills. Half of the groups were Spanish-speaking, half were in English, and a very low-income population, as you probably are familiar with San Francisco General, and that's under um, the data is being analyzed now. But this is not just in that form, um, because there are uh, several MBCP instructors um, who are teaching in, like, the one on the left, uh, that's a a client of hers, it's a, she teaches the full MBCP course in a federally funded low-income center in Worcester, Massachusetts. There are 87 languages in her clinic, if you can believe that. Um, and the, the woman on the right um, lives in a, a rural community in Maine, uh, lots of carpenters and fishermen, working class community, and they, Jane uh, Gerlach, who's one of the MBCP faculty, her classes are full all the time. So this is not, uh, we, it's for everybody. The long view is to uh, develop a, an earlier class, a second trimester class, so that we can um, focus more on nutrition, get people started in the meditation practices sooner. Preterm labor uh, starts to show up about 20 weeks, which is the second trimester. So I'm curious about whether we might actually be able to do something about that if we start these uh, practices earlier. Um, and then to develop a post-MBCP course to um, uh, build on the community that's already created and to keep these families together and give them the support that they might need for normal growth and development of the infant um, and parenting skills and mindfulness practice. Uh, We're also... Uh, on the verge of looking at infant development at the epigenetic level of what's happening with the baby's immune function, those kinds of things. Um, And, of course, looking at long-term family functioning and um, the centering pregnancy with mindfulness skills we'd like to in collaboration with the... um, Centering Healthcare Institute make a training program for centering providers. The centering program has over 400 sites across the country. So there's a lot of potential here. Um, So it does take a village, and um, I have enormous gratitude to those who have supported throughout the 
well, 22 years of when I first started and, uh, and John and all my community of mindfulness folks have been supportive all the way through and many, many people. So um, there you have it. And what I'd like to do now um, is to show you two videos and then um, we'll have some time for questions. Um, Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Um, So this is the first video I'd like to show you is a video that uh, Jen Averill Moffat made uh, at the um, at her clinic in Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay. hospital with the contractions I was just doing the breathing technique which is the best thing that I mean that works for me so uh, using the breath uh, technique I can I try to keep myself calm down think if I can really solve this problem if it's not then that's uh, don't get too worried about it You open your mind because you've taught, you have been taught um, to do it, to um, to live that moment, to um, understand that this is life. To, to manage my stress and my thoughts, and the judgmental uh, ideas, uh, just to accept things like they are. Mm-hmm. Not to judge yourself or judge others. Like that's a constant struggle for me. Um, but at least being able to like to be aware of those thoughts and like catch them in the moment and just say, you know, just say it's just a thought and let it go and not hold on to it. It was really helpful to not think about the pain all the time, but how to uh, you know control and how to think about them the way you think about the pain. And there are a lot of uh, contractions in our life, not your, not the, the labor. So like before, my mind was just like that. But mm-hmm. when I had a class and then you keep saying, well, it happened, but just be in the moment. It has really been a helpful experience. I'm feeling like, right now I keep telling people I'm like 70% better than I was before. Yeah, so it has, it has really been a good experience, even for my anxiety. Yeah, just help, helping me grow. And, and that has been the best preparation to, to be a new mom. 
and also helped me be more patient too. So I was like, I always wanted things like, let's get it done yesterday. You know, so realizing that it's, it's gonna take time. Though you might worry about it, but before I could worry for like a week. But now I'm like, okay, there's no point in worrying about it. I mean, if it is, it is, but if it's not, why worry about it? So Anxiety, it is still there, but I think I'm getting the hang of it of how to, how to control it. Yeah. 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 And being in this community of, with other people that are going through similar experiences, like it really helps. And I, and I, you know, still keep in touch with some of the people that we're in group with. So, um, it's it. I, I love. I can't. I, I can't say like, like anything negative about the experience. It's so good. Um, I would definitely do it again. <laughs> so that's that's Jen, bless her heart, um, the work that she's doing there in the clinic. Um, the next uh, short little clip that I'd like to show you is um, just a word about this couple. They came, took it in the living room of my home. Um, and uh, they were having their second baby. And um, they were going to couples therapy when they started the class. And about four weeks into the class, they decided to quit therapy. They said they didn't need it anymore. <laughs> and um, then their therapist called me up. <laughs> so, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, um, I said, I'm just teaching some mindfulness for childbirth. And she, well, anyway, I, at that time I was teaching also for healthcare providers. And so she came and she got it and it was wonderful to have her. So that's just a little preamble because you'll, you, you'll probably pick up something. And then the other thing is um, the experiences and the ripple effects into the next generation, meaning their little boy. Okay, so... Nick was born six years ago, we found for sure that um, things can happen really quickly and that with a hospital birth, it's pretty, interventions can start happening that turn into a big landslide um, where we felt things, um, when we started, we got to the hospital and had an epidural and that seemed to be the beginning of, of an, a house of cards that just kept falling, falling, falling. And suddenly there was, there was no understanding of what was happening. And for us, the second time, it was we need to, we want to know, we want to be able to be in control of that. How do we get a handle on that? For me, it wasn't wanting to be in control. It was simply just wanting to participate. I felt like I wasn't even participating. One night a week, Will and I were going to have time together on our own. Some of our best conversations happened either to class or coming home from class when we could talk about stuff that we've been working on. And She would say, wow, tonight I, I learned this. 
And I'd say, really? Because I love this. Because we were each coming at it from a different perspective. And then to be able to bring those two perspectives together, instead of, like she said, instead of us going along like this, suddenly we were running into each other. And it was like, oh, oh. And we each gave our, each other's perspective. And it was like, wow, you know, I really feel better. Yeah. We just really communicated. As opposed to just talking, we communicated. And that was, you know, that was very enlightening. I could feel, I felt every sensation. I felt her moving through the birth canal. I could feel the little pops and everything happening. Just, um, and it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't, it was very intense, but I just took it one little bit at a time and knowing that this is, you know, going to pass. It's going to, this is not going to be like this forever. I'm just kind of moving through it. And yet feeling like I needed it. When people would say, just think about your baby. I could hear the nurses and things saying, just think about your baby. Your baby's about to be born. And I remember thinking, I can't even think that far. In I need to just think about right this moment, this push. This, that's as far as I can go. And, um, and that worked for me. That really worked for me. Not thinking about the next contraction or, and then within, so by seven o'clock she was born. So really, it was a three-hour, a three-hour experience. Only a couple hours in the hospital, and um, she was born very easily, very beautifully, perfect health, perfect. Focus so much on getting ready for the birth that we forgot to remember what to do after she's here. But then it was sort of like, okay, well then let's. Let's, let's. What does she need? We, let's let's come. Let's come back to now. We've done this before. Let's let's let's. You know, we found ourselves like almost in a state of panic, but then realizing that okay, <laughs> we have some options. Let's let's stay here and keep going and find out what those options are. And, and I have so much more in tune with her and with nursing. And I mean, with Nick, I couldn't have told you if he was actually eating because I was so distracted. I didn't hear him swallowing. I didn't. I had no idea. I wasn't paying any attention to his cues when he was done. I just looked down. Oh, he's asleep. Look at that. <laughs> you know, or whatever. With her, it's just that's my time to. We lay down together and I tell her how much I love her. And then we just sort of. And a lot of times I'll just close my eyes and just do a quick little. A quick little. Meditation haul. From the time he was. Young, he has um, he has really bad croup attacks. It's so frightening when it happens that in the past we would all get so worked up and get really nervous because he couldn't breathe, and so we would be rushing around trying to boil water and get the shower steamy and scoop him up and try to tell him to relax. <laughs> Stop relax, being scared. Relax. It's okay, really. It's okay. <laughs> Shaking. and That was before. When he has a croup attack now, we get up with him and I sit right down with him. So he's looking in my eyes and I ask him to take a breath. Calm. Slow down. Slow down. Breathe with mommy. Okay, you're safe. This is going to pass. You're going to be okay. I promise I'm here. We're going to take care of you. But we get him a lot of times now to where we don't need any any steroids. We don't need anything to help him through. The, he can get through him himself. So it's it's been a big difference. It's, and talk about the ripple effect. Because now I even hear Nick telling his little friends when it's time to go in for back, you know, their shots, just take a deep breath first and kind of relax and it won't hurt so much. <laughs> <laughs> 
initial reaction was this was going to be a birth class that I might get something else out of. What it ended up being for me was uh, a, a life perspective altering class that helped with our birth. Very good. It was very much, by the time I left your class, it was complete reversal for me. Yeah. It wasn't about the birth anymore. It was going to help us with the birth. But it wasn't about the birth. It was about our lives. So, there you have it. I mean, they say it better than I can, right? So, we do have time for questions now. Um, and I, yes, please. Hi, thank you for coming. I, our daughter was born at Mount Zion, 1984, in a midwife project. Oh, um, you may have I her, may right? have been. Uh, That's where I was yeah, in 1984. I was, I was impressed by how determined the women in that group were to reclaim ownership of this process against traditional hospital births. My wife was greatly empowered. The baby came five and a half weeks, less than full term, totally healthy. There was not a single drug or procedure or anything. This was, it was a great experience. What I do remember of it were two things. So I was excluded. I was not invited to participate at all except do the driving and the other tasks. But also at the hospital, the nurses in the hospital and also there was a resident there. They were not very friendly to the midwife project. Now this was a long time ago, but so the question is right now, how do you include the men or the father? And also, how do you include the nurses and the doctors? Or, or is that part of your um, training at all? Well, uh, so the question is, how are the men included? And uh, what about the other health care providers? Is, is that yeah, the essence resent, of it? From a birth that you experienced in um, 1984, that's a long time ago. <laughs> um, so in the MBCP course, as I mentioned, fathers are full participants, and they sign up with the uh, same commitment as the women um, to practice the meditation. And I think you could see in the video the kind of communication and closeness that happens. They develop a new language. Uh, uh, so they can tell each other, you know, just slow down, take a breath, it's okay. Or they support each other through the... Um, uh, through the process and it's observable uh, the closeness that happens between the couples so that's uh, the answer in terms of the this MBCP in terms of um, uh, how things are operating now in childbirth, that is a whole other conversation. Um, and uh, I just want to say that I recently just came back from the American College of Nurse Midwives Convention, and one of the critical factors in terms of cesareans uh, and the increase in the cesareans seems to be the facility in which people um, 
choose to deliver. And each hospital has its own culture. And it has to do with uh, the school that people went to, the attitude that the chief of OB, whether there's collaborative practice. One of the very positive growths that's happening in terms of obstetrical care is the notion of collaborative practice between um, midwives and obstetricians. And that's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful thing that's growing. Um, and just one last point, you know, uh, America is very um, unique in terms of the lack of midwives being the ones who usually take care of normal births. So um, it's going to take time. Yeah, I hope that gives you okay. some. Yeah, thank you. Yes, please. So the rate of cesareans in general gone up considerably in the last 10 or 15 years? Excuse me? Hasn't the rate of cesarean births gone up dramatically in the last 10 or 15 years? Yes, dramatically. Uh, it's now about 33%. That means one in three women. Uh, and it's exponentially increased. And there's some some of us who are really, really taking an important look at this. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a one-causal thing. It's a very complex... Um, you know, it's partly, it's, it's probably uh, the family's orientation. When my daughter gave birth about a year and a half ago at a pretty high-tech hospital in New York, and uh, everyone was sitting in the waiting room waiting to, to, who were dilating, who were waiting to go in for delivery, they wanted that cesarean right away that would get it over with and all that. Yeah, so yeah. So it, it was part of the demand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a, uh, the way I see it, there's a, a kind of a, a fit um, between some um, desires not to have the experience or not to live through it uh, or because of the fear and lack of skill. Um, And then, you know, we have no way of... um, We we look a lot at um, not doing enough, but we don't take a look at when we have done too much. And I think we are, well, and it's not only birth, but it's end-of-life care, too. You can see this all through the medical uh, system. We don't have a, a break on, when, on doing too much. So there are people looking at that. And, um, uh, but it's an attitude and shift, not only with the... Uh, birthing families but also with the care providers and there's a synergy you you know the other thing is that um, uh, MBCP is not about natural childbirth this is about skills to support the normal physiology of the body but the really deeper message is you don't know and nobody knows because you can go swing the other side of having all sorts of future expectations and fantasies about the perfect birth and I'm going to do it naturally and, uh, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And, and then you cannot predict 
you know, 85, 90% of the time is normal. But there's things happen. And each birth is unique. Each woman is unique. Each woman's body, her relationship to pain, her history around pain, her nervous system. So this allows everybody to just be who they are. Sometimes the, the drugs are, are life-saving and the surgeries are life-saving. So this is middle path here. There's no one right way. There's only skills for finding their way. And there's no one right way for parenting either. I mean, each child needs a different kind of parent. If, if you have more than one, you've probably noticed. <laughs> what worked with one does not work with the other. So there you are. We're all making it up. Life is one big adult education class. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, I noticed today when you lit our mindfulness practice uh-huh. that you started from the feet coming back up. Yes. The other, the other weeks that I've been here, we were doing it from head, the facial muscles, and then going into the body. Oh. So does it make a difference when you do one or the other, or both work the same? I'm just curious. Okay, so I I have to repeat the question. So the question is, uh, does it make a difference uh, whether you do the body scan from the feet up or the head down? Uh, That's a wonderful question. Um, mm, The answer is, uh, it doesn't make a difference. It's about paying attention to the body and the sensations in the body, and perhaps it does make a difference. So, for example, uh, in the MBCP class, we do do the body scan from the head down because where do you want the energy to go or the... I think it's good for women to hear down (laughs) rather than up because that's where the baby's going to come out is down. Um, And the MBSR course, it starts from the feet up. I also know somebody who taught the body scan from right to left (laughs) and left to right. So uh, it's whatever seems to be most helpful to bring the attention back into the present moment and to be aware of sensation in the body. Okay? Yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah. Yes, please. Mindfulness. Mm-hmm. To be mindful. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? I mean, how do you define mindfulness? Oh, boy. Uh, how do you define it? <laughs> How about well, that? <laughs> you know, they say that the, the only definition I know is that a mind is a embedded or interpersonal process which regulates the flow of information and energy. Well, that's and, pretty and, good. And with that in mind, I've been trying to relate that to mindfulness here with the Okay. Uh, it's birds. not so easy to answer that question. what And I'm not sure I can, to tell you the truth. That's a conversation that's been going on for centuries, truly. What is consciousness? Okay? So it's actually 
somewhat of a miracle that we can as humans, and as far as we know, humans are the only ones who can choose where to put the, our attention. Yes. The, the, you know, the cats and the dogs, they're aware, but they, they're not aware they're going to die. They're not aware of the past and the future. They are, have conditioning, certainly, and so do we. So, but just for example, if, if, if you don't mind, can, everybody's looking more or less up here, okay? So just keep looking up here, and right now, bring your attention to your right hand. Feel your fingers, feel the sensations, maybe a little tingling, maybe warmth. Okay, what did that? What got you from paying attention here to paying attention here? I don't know, but you can do it. All of us can do it. We're born this way. So that's why it's really tricky to talk about. But when you practice over time, it's like a muscle. Okay, I have to stop. (laughs) Just lessons. It's like a muscle. And the more you practice, the stronger the capacity to pay attention and be in the present moment is. And that's about as good as I can do because... Thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.